Thank you, thank you. How wonderful and good morning to all of you. Jeannie and I are so blessed to be here today to help you welcome Pastor Greg and Chris and their wonderful family. Many wonderful memories as we uh, come to this podium this morning and as we worship with you. It's marvelous to be with you, but have you noticed it's especially marvelous to acknowledge that God is here this morning and we are worshiping him and honoring him and giving praise and glory to him. We thank God for the heritage of this church, the privilege we had of knowing and loving Dr. James Henry Hutchins, the 37 years that he served, and then Pastor Ray Ortland and Ann for 20, and then Jeannie and I were here for a few years, and then Gordon and Patricia. We rejoice and give thanks for the past, but today we are here to celebrate the future and to give God thanks that within his providence and grace, He has brought to you a truly remarkable pastor. I had the privilege of um, meeting Pastor Greg shortly after uh, we left you. Uh, Reluctantly, but uh, accepted because God clearly called us uh, the role of the president of the Evangelical Free Church of America, a position to which we didn't really aspire, but by God's grace we enjoyed very, very much. And one of the joys of meeting the uh, incredible young pastors that God was raising up across the nation, and one that I was particularly impressed with was Pastor Greg Waybright. He had served, as many of you know, at the Arroyo Grande Evangelical Free Church, days of incredible growth of that congregation, and then went from there to the Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church. Uh, Greg was not only an incredible pastor, but a brilliant biblical scholar as well, an unusual blend. And um, in uh, about 1993, I haven't checked the exact date, uh, Trinity University, formerly Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and Trinity College, began looking for a new president. And God laid Greg on my heart. And I went to visit him one day in his home. He had had some uh, minor surgery and went to visit him. And the Holy Spirit just prompted me to ask whether he would consider being a candidate for that position. And he reluctantly said so because he loved the pastorate so much. And the rest is history. He came. He served so significantly. You'll hear more about that. God used him so powerfully. So a few months ago, I had a call from uh, Dr. Bill Iwan uh, asking if I would uh, come and meet with him for a few moments. And uh, Adam Stiles, who I had never met, as they were helping give leadership to the search committee for the new pastor. And their assignment was very simple. They had a list, outstanding list of potential candidates. All they wanted me to do was to review and see whether I knew some of those persons and uh, how I would uh, look at them. Uh, fitting as pastor of this church. And I met with him. It was a joy to be with Bill again, and I met Adam for the first time. And uh, some wonderful, wonderful men of God were on that list, and I was able to affirm many of them. And then I asked as we closed our brief time together uh, whether I could pray for them. And it was during that prayer that God did an unexpected thing. Very clearly, the Holy Spirit brought Greg Waybright into focus. Um, I'd been with Greg a few times in recent years, and every time I was with him, he was talking about his desire to go back to the pastorate. 
And I said, I don't know. Uh, when I said amen, I said, forgive me, but I believe the Holy Spirit has given me uh, an insight. You'll have to decide whether it's from the Holy Spirit or merely from Paul Cedar. But I mentioned Greg's name and uh, his unusual qualifications. I, I remember making this statement. If I could just prepare the profile of the ideal pastor for Lake Avenue Church, this would be the man, in my opinion. They asked if I would get in touch. And so I confess I was a little nervous. I called Greg on the phone. I did not want to complicate his life, and that's how I began. I said, Greg, I certainly don't want to complicate your life. But um, if you're not open to this, just say no, and that will be the end of it. But if you are open, I, and I told him the story that I've just told you. And he, in his gracious manner, responded and said, you are not complicating my life. In fact, just yesterday, I was uh, having lunch with the two most important women in my life, my wife and my daughter. And they were encouraging me, when are you going to stop talking about going back to the pastorate and start doing something about it? And he said, I was a little, I was a little troubled by that. And this morning, on the way to the office, instead of coming directly, I stopped at a forest reserve on the way. And just spent a significant time in prayer asking for the Lord's guidance. And then came my phone call. And you know the rest of the story. And it closes with simply this. This was not my idea. This was not Pastor Greg's idea. This was not Dr. Iwan or Adam's idea, nor even the search committee. This was God's idea. God has given you this new pastor. Praise God. Good morning, Lake Avenue Church. I did not get to, uh, to say uh, my words of greetings yesterday uh, in the evening, so allow me to begin with um, uh, words of greetings to uh, the Reverend Dr. Gregory L. Waybright and his family. And uh, this is how I like to, uh, to put it. First of all, to bring you greetings from that frigid, cold land of Illinois, uh, from uh, the faculty of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, uh, you will be uh, pleased to know, Lake Avenue Church, that on a regular basis, uh, on Monday mornings, as the faculty of the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School prays, we remember to pray for our former president, your pastor, and for you as a congregation. Uh, I, I think we need to say that, uh, because it's true. Uh, and there are people in this room who can attest that it's true. They're sitting there. They, uh, so I'm not, uh, I mean, you can ask them later on. So greetings, greetings to, uh, the from the faculty of the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I also want to uh, uh, bring greetings from uh, Marie, who uh, at the very last minute uh, could not make it. We can talk about that later uh, to, to celebrate with you uh, during this day. So uh, these are my words of greetings, and I don't want to take more time, especially since uh, um, uh, in this that is called a challenge, I have very limited time to do so. 
So congratulations to Lake Avenue Church and to your pastor, the Reverend Dr. Greg Wilbright. You discerned together God's will, as we were reminded this morning already by your pastor, former pastor Paul Cedar. May you together, that is together with Pastor Wilbright and the congregation, may you continue together in gospel ministry with this assurance that this installation this morning is the conclusion of a process of discerning God's will. May you therefore continue together with the assurance that this is God's doing and that in every step of the way, when the going gets tough, this will be your assurance. The focus of my challenge this morning, uh, to you especially, Pastor Webright, friend, colleague, the focus of my challenge comes from that eminent encourager and challenger of pastors and churches, the Apostle Paul himself. And I want to do so by focusing specifically on First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 to chapter 5, verse 2. I know that in the bulletin it says First Timothy 4, but these are uh, uh, the verses that I want to focus on. Uh, since there is specifically an injunction in the passage to apply oneself to the public reading of Scripture, I thought I would read Scripture and then continue with what uh, I want uh, to say. Verse 11, I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version, finishing in verse 2 of chapter 5, verse 11, chapter 4. Command and teach these things, says Paul. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the, te the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters, in all purity. You notice that uh, I titled my uh, uh, challenge this morning, Pastoral Leadership in a Diverse uh, Community. Uh, much of what I, 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 I gleaned here comes from a, for, a friend of yours, Greg, and I need to say this to you, but also to all the academics in, uh, in front of me here, so that uh, when they read, they can check that I, I have properly footnoted. Um, comes from... Um, uh, that um, 
other pastor, scholar, a global gospeler, I mentioned John Stott, uh, who uh, makes reference to the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in uh, this uh, writing of his published in 1996, God, the Truth, the Message of First Timothy and Titus. So I thought I would connect you to, to John Stott and to Trinity and to, uh, of course, to Lake Avenue. Uh, but so, um, without uh, further mention or footnoting, let me uh, continue. So as to minimize surprises, uh, you can ask uh, Pastor Weber what I mean by surprises. Um, I don't have time. Surprises. So as to minimize surprises, I will proceed uh, in this fashion. First, I will say a few words about the broader context of this passage. Then I will highlight significant aspects of the immediate context, which is at the beginning of chapter 4. Then um, I will spend the rest of my time on uh, verses 11, beginning verse 11, chapter 4, and finishing in uh, Chapter 5, verse 2. First, the broader context. You note that uh, as you open Paul's letter to Timothy in chapter 1, especially in verse 3, that uh, Paul assigned Timothy to church ministry in Ephesus with the specific word, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That's verse 3, chapter 1. So, remain there in order to, to continue uh, the teaching of pure doctrine. If there is any first word of encouragement uh, to, um, to you, Greg, uh, it is the word remain. Uh, and it's true for all pastors. It's also true for congregations. At the first difficulty, do not look for greener pastures in other churches. That is, to the congregation I'm speaking. <laughs> Remain. The Christian life is about remaining and helping one another together to mature in the faith. It's not about seeking personal satisfaction somewhere. So, but to Pastor Greg, remain at Lake Avenue in order to teach, to command. This is a wonderful thing to do, remain. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, especially in verse 18, Paul entrusts a charge to Timothy. This is what he says. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. I entrust them to you. Because Paul does so because he himself was fully aware that he had been entrusted, that's verse 11, chapter 1, entrusted with the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Glorious gospel of the, bless, of the blessed God. Now, Greg, you are a gospel person. Those of you who were not here last night, uh, you missed what... Uh, his uh, former professor and current professor at Trinity said about him, John Woodbridge said, Greg Weber is a gospel person. Those of you who were there here last night, yes, he did say that, a gospel person. Uh, so, like Timothy in Ephesus, my injunction to you is, Greg, 
May you continue to make the gospel the focus of your pastoral leadership here in the city of Pasadena and particularly at Lake Avenue Church. If you do so, you will not be ashamed. Never. So in the words of John Stott, the local church is the main arena which, in which unremitting struggle between truth and error is fought out. That is why in a local church, the pastor must be a gospel person. The major fight about the gospel is not in a seminary, believe it or not. It's in the local church. That's why there's mutual responsibility between pastor and congregants for that. Consequently, never has the need for pastor theologians been greater than in our time. Lake Avenue Church, God has provided you one such pastor, that is, a pastor theologian for such a time as now. God knows what you need. The immediate context then, which is at the beginning of chapter 4, for the immediate context, let me highlight at least two things. The first thing is in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, uh, where uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, uh, there is an immediate danger, that of people departing from the faith in later times. Later times. That's now. Uh, it was so in Paul's time. It's even more so today. People departing from the faith. I'm not talking about a particular church. I'm talking about a general <laughs> disease that is out there. Uh, especially when we are at a time when people are bored with focus. There's more possibility for people to want to, for people who, to want to depart, uh, from, from the truth. That's the first statement about immediate, immediate context. The first, the second statement is in verse six, where Paul says to Timothy to be a good servant of Christ Jesus a good servant of Christ Jesus, with the emphasis on the adjective good. And of course the word servant, but good. There are plenty of pastors out there around the world that I would not qualify with the adjective good. You have been a good president for us, Greg. May you continue to be a good servant of Christ Jesus here at Lake Avenue. So in light of the, forego of the foregoing, it is apparent that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 2, uh, again to quote John Stott, uh, this is about local leadership. It's about local leadership. This section of Paul's letter then uh, treats two topics. First, how false teaching may be detected and exposed in spite of its plausibility. That's verses uh, 1 to 10. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that this morning. 
But note that uh, false teaching is always more plausible than we think. A pastor must expose false teaching constantly. But secondly, a pastor must uh, be about how true teaching may be commended, that is, put forth for the congregation to say, yes, this is it. We want to be about this. So to commend uh, true teaching and endorse in spite, or in, in this case, Timothy's youth, First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to chapter 11, chapter, to, to, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Now, Greg, I know that you are not as young as Timothy may have been in Ephesus. I know that. Um, but in a church like Lake Avenue Church, there are people who may think of you as a young man. <laughs> I see some in the congregation. Uh, the texture of the hair, if they were not born blonde, tells me that uh, they may think of you as a young man. Besides, youth or no youth, the instructions contained in this passage should be constantly in the forefront of every pastor's mind. What do I mean? You see, First Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 to chapter 5 verse 2 focuses on what it requires to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. With some instructions even for leadership at a local level, so, let me leave the following with you. I have an eye on the clock, unfortunately, that impossible, uh, frightening God. Um, uh, so, these are the words. A six-fold way to commend your pastoral leadership in a diverse community. I take them straight from verses 12 to uh, chapter 5 verse uh, 2. Six things. The local church is a community. I'm taking that as something that is, is for granted. And that community for me, by definition, implies diversity. <laughs> you don't know me, I don't know you. You can ask Greg what I mean by that. Uh, take me very seriously. There is no community that does not have diversity in it, regardless of what you may think. Uh, even when they were all Swedes at Trinity. Some were tall, some were short. Some had blue eyes, some didn't. Some had blonde hair, some didn't. Some were rich, some were farmers uh, in the same church, right? Diversity. Some were even brownish. I don't know where their brown skin came when they were Swedes. But my point is, a community by definition has diversity in it. There cannot be a community where there is only one kind of person. It's not possible. So, relax. Um, the basis then for uh, Paul's instruction comes at verse 11. Note he says to Timothy in verse 11, chapter 4, Command and teach these things. Verse 6 before, if you put these things before the, the brothers, what things? Well, his entire instructions as to how to, to go about 
pastoral ministry. So if you put these things before the, the brothers and the sisters, that's what you ought to be. So allow me to talk to my friend, colleague, uh, Pastor Greg, for these few minutes. One, verse 12. Be an example. Uh, personal integrity is essential for pastoral leadership. I don't need to tell us anything these days about the fact that many people have brought shame to the name of Christ, high profile or low profile, because they lacked personal integrity. So be an example. And for this, I found no better than the words of John Stott when he, when he says, the Christian leads by example, not force, and is to be a model who invites a following, not a boss who compels one. Now I can tell you this, uh, just one second of uh, personal uh, uh, testimony here. Uh, Greg Webright is a leader who does not compel. Please, Lake Avenue, don't take advantage of that trait of his. I cannot say more than that. Um, but leading by example has significant downside to it because of where we are in the world today. People expect leaders to kind of you know, they have everything together, but the good servant of Christ Jesus leads by example. Not compelling people because he's the boss. There is no such a thing as a boss in pastoral leadership after all. Uh, so, second, verse 13. Identify your authority and attend to it constantly. By that I mean your authority is in God's word. That's all. Scripture is always, always the primary authority of pastoral leadership. Personal authority comes second, maybe third. Uh, so Calvin says, long time ago, if the pastors turn to their, to their uh, imagination, and uh, the dreams of their minds, and not to the word of God, they should be chased away. I don't want to hear, if I'm still alive, that is, uh, that you are chasing my friend, Pastor Greg Webright, away because he's turned to his imaginations. Help him attend to his authority, that is, to Scripture. Uh, but he knows that. I'm not saying anything that he does not know. Uh, on today's, uh, it's like a wedding when you remind people, as you say, Greg, it's not because they don't know these things, but you remind them so that they may, maybe, sometime, re-listen to these things. Attend, identify your authority and attend to it constantly. That is, attend to Scripture. Verse 14, third uh, idea exercise your gift do so boldly and winsomely uh, if I have a word to the congregation it is this let your pastor exercise his gift 
Don't try to make him be what he is not. His gift, what is it? Teaching, people, person, and all this kind of thing. Help him in the office. <laughs> Liberate him so he can attend to his gift. That's why God brought him here in the first place. The burden of leadership is that people want us to do everything perfectly. That's not possible. Let him flourish in the gift that God has given him. So, Greg, attend to your gift. Exercise it. Do so boldly. Do so winsomely. You will have joy in the family. You will have joy in the church. 4, verse 15. Let your progress be evidenced publicly. Uh, again, John Stott, remarkable words here. People should be able to observe not only what Christian leaders are, but what they are becoming, supplying evidence that they are growing into maturity in Christ. That's what John Stott says. I know that in many places we expect Christian leaders to be perfect. Now, you heard many times already maybe, but yesterday we heard it. Greg says he's not perfect. We heard that many times at Trinity as well. Um, since he's conscious of that, uh, making sure that progress is evidenced publicly is a good thing. You want to grow as Christians, right? Lake Avenue Church? Okay. Pastor Greg is a Christian first and pastor second. I am a Christian first and whatever else I am is second. Let us grow together into maturity in Christ. Five. Be consistent. Verse 16. Now, again, we heard last night from Dr. Shea that Pastor Greg has um, this thing about him called transparency. So my, my only word, Greg, this morning is keep that up. You'll be sorry for it sometime, but that's okay. It's okay. Okay. Remember that uh, uh, when there is no dichotomy between public and private life or between preaching and practice, we manifest that most necessary of all leadership qualities, again John Stott, personal authenticity. That is the most necessary quality in, Christian, in leadership, particularly Christian leadership, personal authenticity. If you lose that, it's gone. So, Pastor Webright. Do continue to cultivate personal authenticity, especially as outlined in verses 1 and 2, uh, which is my sixth point uh, of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be careful in your relationships in the church family and beyond. Be careful in your relationships in the church family and beyond. In, in verses five, uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 5, uh, they, they stated in a way that is odd uh, to the ears of most Americans these days. What does it mean to relate to older men as fathers, to older women as mothers, 
to younger men as brothers, to younger women as sisters. Uh, because of how we are, we, we probably don't fully understand what that means. Uh, some of us uh, have difficulty, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about myself, uh, calling uh, an older person by their first name. Now, there are people in the church, perhaps, that you should call Mr. and Mrs. Greg. I don't know if they want to. If they want you to do that, that would be a good thing. Uh, but to, uh, to younger uh, men and younger women as brothers and sisters, so that there is, again, that transparency that is there. We know how we treat our own brother and sister. Do so in the church. But do so in the context of the U.S. and even Californian informality, as I put it here. It's possible to do so. If you do so, you will not go wrong. Now, two final words. In our context today, personal authenticity in relationship must be extended to relations with people who are very different from us. That is, I'm talking ethnicity, race, whatever, uh, themes that are familiar to you, Greg. Uh, that is more easily said than done. I have here a cutout from um, the August 15 uh, Chicago Tribune of Clarence Page, where uh, he is highlighting the fact that diversity is difficult. Diversity is difficult. Uh, where some of the people who study ethnicity are saying to us today that um, the more diverse it, a community becomes, the less involved people are with people who are of their own ethnic background or race or with people who are different. You probably didn't hear that. Let me say it again. Um, uh, the more diversity a community is, the less people trust people who are like themselves or people who are different. As Clarence Page says here in his words, the greater the diversity in the community, the less civic engagement it shows. Fewer people vote, fewer people volunteer, they give less to charity, they work together less on community projects. That's why people think short-term diversity is a bad thing. Now, let me be, my only bold statement this morning is, uh, Christians, some of whom are more Bible-believing than others, are the ones who are prone to cross out diversity first. Because there is no proof that it works short-term. God is not in the short-term business. He is in the long-term business. Diversity works because God knows that it works in the long, long, long term. In heaven, for instance. There will not just people like, be people like myself or yourself. Let's help Pastor Waybright help you try to work with a long term in mind. 
in a diverse community, there will be problems. But the payoff is great because God is in it. He who created us the way we are and did not make a mistake by doing so. So, final word. You are engaged in leadership, Greg, my friend, which requires more than human abilities. Like all leadership does, even pagan leadership, but especially Christian leadership. God is good. May he continue to help you to attend to his word so that all the potential failures of personal qualities will not be what happens. But what God does will remain and will help this, your congregation, be about the gospel in the world. A pastor is not supposed to be a respecter of persons, but this is my favorite singer. Just... <laughs> It was February 2002, so just five months after 9-11, and I was meeting with a group of other university and college presidents in Washington, D.C. It was a rather uh, hectic time there, and we were beginning to challenge one another in a smaller group of presidents by asking, how should we be praying for our students these days? Many of you know that the students at the school that I was leading were from many, many different nations. And these were turbulent days for our students. So much uncertainty. And I thought of so many things that I thought maybe I should pray about. But as I thought and I prayed about this, I was longing to find something that might provide a refuge or, or a center, a center that would hold uh, even in the most difficult of times. And the one text that came to my mind is the one that folks here at Lake Avenue, as you think about your new pastor at this day of installation, I want you to know that this is the prayer that became my ongoing prayer for our students. And it's going to be my prayer for you as a congregation as well. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I hope you'll turn to that. I need to attend to the public reading of Scripture. Let's stand together and hear what our Father has to say. This book of Ephesians, just after saying that the walls that separated people from people, Jew from Gentile, had come down. Now we were in one family. Verse 14 of chapter 3, I want you to hear the word of God. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is the Word of God.
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, though, I'm not going to do a full message. So those of you visiting, you must come back. (laughs) I simply want to show you this prayer. So when you think about the pastor you are installing, you will know what he is praying for you if you are a member of this community. It's the second part of this prayer that I've just read that I want to show you specifically. Beginning there in verse 17, and I'd like you to look at it. And let's just keep this in front of us for the moments that I have together with you. I I pray that you, as we are all bowing before the Father together, and he is in this place. I pray that you, who have been rooted and established in this loving community, by the, the, the unchanging love of God, I pray that you may have power together with all God's people to grasp something. What am I praying for? Do you see it's a prayer for power? Do you see that that's what the prayer is? It's a prayer for power? Now, I don't know you very well yet. I am looking forward to it. But I'll tell you this. Both those who go to church a long time and those who almost never go to church, both those who are ongoing prayer warriors and those who rarely pray, when we have those moments that we pray, we almost always pray about power, right? Usually the power that we pray for is that we can do something. Uh, Power to be able, as a student, to remember those things that I've studied, or for some of the students that I know, that God might put something into their minds that they've never studied. (laughs) Fill the vacuum. Power to know God's healing. Power to see God's miracles. Power to do well on a job interview. So many times when we pray, we pray for power. This is a prayer for power that I have for you. But it's not the way we usually pray as Christians. It's one of the things that strikes me about this prayer. Is that we, even those of us who are longtime churchgoers, we don't usually pray for one another this way. It's, it's not a prayer for power that we can do something. It's, it's a prayer for power that we can grasp and know something. Do you see that? I see some Bible professors. Katalabesthi and Gnonai. Just to let them know I keep my Greek going. To grasp and to know something. To grasp having to do with something in my mind. Learning something. That when we gather here in this church, we're going to open this word and we're going to learn something that God has revealed. And when we study what God has said about himself, one of the primary traits we're going to learn is that God is love. And the shocking thing is, to whom is that love directed? Who are those who are the recipients of the love of God? I I pray that as we study this word, every time we gather in this place, you're going to grasp when you hear his voice. That God says to you, I know you. I know you. I know where you've fallen short. I know where you're not yet all that you should be. But I love you. And I'll tell you, it takes power to grasp that sometimes, doesn't it? It's something that Paul says it goes beyond knowing. Even he struggles to find a way to talk to us about it. I want you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He looks for language. He looks for language to say it. And one of the things I love, and I know here at Lake Avenue, we have a lot of long-term churchgoers. But I want you to know this. No matter how much you learn about how much God loves you, you haven't learned it all yet. 
You haven't learned it all yet. But we won't leave it at just this head matter. Paul says, I pray you're going to have power to grasp it. But when you gather, I'm going to pray that you have power to know it. Because sometimes we can know something's true in our head. But we come, when we go out, we just can't really believe that a perfect and eternal God who knows everything about me loves me in spite of myself. But he does. And sometimes we just need his power to help us to know that that is true. And sometimes in the midst of your week, when you've just been living for yourself and you've known what you should do and you walk away from what you should do anyway, you need to come back to this place. Give those matters back to God and hear God say to you, I am ready to receive you again. You are my child. I pray you're going to have power for that. That became my prayer for our students because the students who are going to college, well, many of our men's students were were coming through tough times of breaking from addictions. I I love the, the college students. We've got to get more of them coming to Lake. I love the college students going into college in these days because I see such an authenticity as Teep talks to me about this, such an openness to tell me about their walk with God and the desire to know God more, something that's real. But alongside of that, there are these addictions that many have gained, sexual addictions, sometimes chemical addictions through many things happening in our culture. And they want to find freedom and find it so hard to find where they can break from those addictions. And they wonder, can God, knowing this about me, possibly love me? Is there any way? And many of our women students are struggling so much with perfectionism. Do you know what that is? Maybe Californians don't wrestle with that. (laughs) You have all these pictures that young women look at, that how people are supposed to look. But you know that nobody looks like that. Even the people in the pictures, they're doctored, you know. And yet, if you don't look like that, you wonder if it's even possible that anyone could love me as I am. Even God. Do you know what our students needed? They needed power to grasp and to know that God made them, knew them, and loved them. With a love that is wide and long and high and deep. And my brothers and sisters, it's not just students. That's my prayer for you. Now, I just want to show you, if we can put that verse back up. I want to show you why I want to pray this for you. Look at that last phrase. I pray that you'll grasp and know the love of God for you so that, for this reason. Look at that phrase. See if you understand it, first of all. So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It sounds amazing. Do you understand that? Well, I don't fully understand it either. But I understand a little bit. I can only take you as far as I've gone. And this is as far as I've gone. God made us in his image. He made us so that we could live in a way that is filled with joy, with what is called the shalom of God. Life as God created it to be lived is is life the way that God, God shows us to live it in this word. But none of us are living that way fully. Right? I mean, we've walked away from him. We know that our lives are not yet all that they should be. What this is talking about is those of us made in the image of God are people that God wants, first of all, to forgive of those things that have fallen short. And second, he wants to remake us, to become what he wants us to be in the first place. 
It's a wonderful part. It's a gospel. When Tete says be a gospel, that's the good news. There's hope for us in spite of ourselves. And that God promises that if we'll just give ourselves to him, eventually he's going to do his work in us. We're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Those who walk with him will become what God created us to be. I pray that prayer so that you may be the person God made you to become. We're not there yet. But how does it happen? As we grasp and know the love of God. Psychologists, and I know we have a number of them here in the congregation, understand this very well. I read so many articles in which people say that people don't grow to be mature, loving people unless they themselves are able to experience love within their communities. And you know in our world in which the places where people used to experience love are falling apart, our our marriages and our families, other parts of the, sometimes friendships and sometimes even our local churches. Where are people going to experience a place of unconditional love where they are always welcomed when they come back again? And, And if it's true that our world is sort of fragmenting and falling apart in all these places where we should experience love, we're not experiencing them. You know what's going to happen? People are not going to grow to be those mature people they should be. They won't learn how to love. So what are we going to do in a world in which all the institutions are falling apart? We have a message to bring that if you've never experienced love from anybody else, God loves you with an everlasting love. And his love is wide and long and high and deep. And I'm telling you that love is a love that must be experienced among his people. Why am I praying this prayer for you as as the folks that I have the opportunity to lead? It's because I long for you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I long that in this place you will continue to grow to be the people that you know that you are not yet, but that you long to be. And that God will help you to be through his power. Now, our time is really gone. So let me just ask a third question. How is God going to answer this prayer? My first thought when I ask a question like that is, any way he wants, he's God. He, <laughs> right? He can do it anyway. And he does answer it any way he wants. I've, those of us who've been Christians for a long time, doesn't he? Times when it seems like God is far away or we have walked far away. He lets us know that he is there. Sometimes it happens in a sermon where you walk in and it's as if that sermon was directed specifically to you. How did that preacher know? Did my wife give him a call? You know, it's that sort of thing. It's God's love breaking in saying, I know that you are there and I love you and I want you to know it. But in this text, I just want you to show, if you could put that verse back up. There are just some things that you have to see. First of all, when you come to Christ, you have been already rooted and established into a global community. Uh, Dr. Tianu said, God works in the long, the long view. <laughs> and that community that we are in, Revelation 7, 9, that is made up of every tribe and language and nation and people over generations. and gen- That's what we are rooted into, and we're just a local reflection of it. So those of you who've been brought into this family... You've been rooted and established. I'm praying that you're going to have power. And then notice that phrase, together with all of God's people. Were you here two or three weeks ago? 
all of them, all of them, together with all of God's people, as you worship and serve together, you experience something that you otherwise would never even be able to know. How much God loves you. I I was asking our faculty members at TEDS about this, and Dr. Graham Cole, one of the great theologians, he's from Australia. I can't do an Australian accent. I said, read this. What's your first impression? And he said, Greg, it looks to me like it is a prayer for the church that refuses to be monochromatic. Monochromatic. Do you see that? What he's saying is, it's the church as God has made us to be. And the church that refuses just to be with people just like themselves. When we come together and worship together and serve together with all of God's people and find a way to live and serve and worship together, two things will happen. Number one, the world's going to look at us. Pasadena is going to look at Lake Avenue and say, God is in that place because we don't see it anywhere else. What are those people doing worshiping together and serving together? What are those young folks and old folks doing singing songs together? They don't even like the same kind of music. What's happening in that place? They'll say, God must be there. God is going to be honored. And a second thing's going to happen. You are going to know something that goes beyond knowing normally. You are going to experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for you. Now, my, my time is gone, but let me just read you one story. Anne Lamott understands this in her book, A Testimony, Traveling Mercies. I know many of you have probably read it. She she came to Christ from being far away from God. I mean, all sorts of addictions, uh, all sorts of of, of relationships that were filled with deceit. And then a miracle happened and God called her to himself. She didn't even want anything to do with anybody who called themselves Christians. It's funny. She told anybody. If she had met me, she would have held me at arm's length. And then suddenly she figured out she was a sister with me. Um, And she also learned that in order for her to grow, to become filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. She had to worship with other people. So she found a church. She'd go in late, leave early. And the people saw her doing it and wouldn't let her do it anymore. They saw her trying to get up and leave and they wouldn't let her out. So (laughs) maybe we'll want to do that uh, today. Uh, But she said as she was there and was loved by God's people, it was a very diverse community up in the Bay Area of California. She began to have that group of people, God's people, as the orienting center of her life. And she made sure that she missed church, never, as she said she may have missed ten times in twelve years, and she forced her son Sam to go to church. And she told why. And in telling about it, she related a story told by her pastor. She must have been an amazing woman, an African-American pastor of the St. Andrew Church. And this is the story. When she, this pastor Veronica, was about seven years old. Her best friend got lost one day. This little girl ran up and down the streets of the big town where they lived, San Francisco. But she couldn't find a single landmark. She was very frightened. Finally, a policeman stopped to help her. He put her in the passenger seat of his car, and they drove around until she finally saw her church. She pointed it out to the policeman. And then she told him firmly, you can just let me out right here, right now. 
This is my church, and I can always find my way home from here. Then Lamott comments, and that is why I always stay so close to my church. Because no matter how bad I am or bad I am feeling, how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of God's people at my church, and hear their tawny voices. I can always find my way back home. My brothers and sisters, my prayer is that this church will be that kind of church. A church where people know that we are recipients of the mercy of God and we are so thankful for his love poured out on us that we show love to other people. And for that to happen, I'm going to be praying day in and day out this prayer. I pray that you, who have been rooted and established in love, I pray that you may have power together with all God's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And in this place, I pray that you will know that love that goes beyond knowing. So that you, yes you, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May he answer it to his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Amen. Thank you, my brothers. Father, we have heard your word, this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed so long ago. It means just as much to us. And I pray, Father, that you would answer this prayer for us. That in this place, we may be a people who respond to the gospel, who are thankful for what you have done, who love one another. And through that love, Father, experience your love for us so that in this place healing can happen. That people who have never known Jesus will come to know that you are real and that you can be known through faith in him. And that each one of us can become what you long for us to be through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this certainly is that day to lift our voices in praise to our great God. Friends and guests and church family, we have now come to that moment in our service for the formal installation of Dr. Gregory L. Waybright as senior pastor at Lake Avenue Church. As we'll through the annals of time, as God's people have gathered together, there have often been sacred and solemn moments of covenanting together under and for God's grand and eternal purposes, this is one of those moments. I'm going to ask a number of folks to join us on the platform for this time of our service to surround Greg and Chris. I'd like to ask our ministry council to come forward at this time and our staff leadership team, our search committee, and the leaders of our Comunidad ministry as well as our warehouse community. We're going to move this platform to the back here. Thank you so much, John. And let me just tell you a little bit about what's going to take place uh, in the next few moments, and then I'll step out of the way here. 
First, our church chair, uh, Mr. Lee Merritt, will lead us in an installation litany, a challenge, a charge, both to the Waybrights and to us, the congregation. And then after that time of installation, challenge, and charge, we're going to be led in prayer by Dr. Sung Choi, a member of our ministry council and the search committee, also by Dr. Love Seacrest, assistant professor at Fuller Seminary, and then Rafiq Wabi, who's one of our high school students here at Lake Avenue Church. And then all that will be followed by the reading of one of our STARS students, Viviana Granados, who's going to read both in English and Spanish the verse that Greg referred to in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And so, Mr. Lee Merritt. Everlasting God. In every time and place, you have called forth leaders to be servants of your people and ministers of your grace. Mighty God, we praise you for the talents and skills you have given Dr. Waybright and his willingness to share them with us here at Lake Avenue Church for the purpose of building your kingdom. Lake Avenue Congregation, these are the persons whom you've asked to serve and to lead you. Do you have anything to say to them? We are honored and humbled by this display of your confidence in us to serve you. We pledge to you that we will bear your love and trust with responsible and caring hands. God's help, we will. Reverend Gregory L. Waybright, on behalf of the congregation of Lake Avenue Church, I give you this charge. Will you seek to continue to grow to love the Lord our God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and strength, so that you will be constantly learning about him through the study of his word and world? so that you will pledge to fill your mind with which is that which is good and pure and honorable to him, so that you will set your mind on things of God rather than on those things that become the obsessions of many of this, in this world, so that you will teach God's word faithfully, proclaim his gospel unreservedly, and lead in a way that God alone receives the glory. If you desire to accept this charge, answer, by God's grace, I will. By God's grace, I will. Will you seek to love those God brings across your path with a compassion compelled by the love of Christ? Loving the people of God that sends to 
that the people that God sends to this church so that they will see godliness motivated by your deep gratitude for the grace of God. Courage motivated by the presence of God's spirit. Confidence motivated by your resting in doing God's will and compassion that reflects the heart of Jesus. Loving all people, both inside and outside of this local church, so that they may see Christ in you. So that when they see Christ in you, they will be drawn to trust Jesus, love him, and give praise to him. By God's grace and with his help, I will. Will you seek to love the global church we serve? knowing that Christ gave his life for the church, knowing that the church is the central vehicle through which God is accomplishing his mission and drawing people from every tribe and language and nation to himself in Christ, and knowing that it is the church that has power, God's power, to push back the very gates of hell. If that is your desire, then answer, by God's grace, I will. By God's grace, I will. I charge you to lead both with courage and gentleness, to seek wisdom that comes only from the fear of the Lord, to love justice, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with God. If that is your desire, then answer, by God's grace, I will. By God's grace, I will. And now, like Avenue Congregation, are you willing to give yourselves in cooperation and in fellowship to the leadership and ministry of the Reverend Dr. Gregory L. Waybright? What else will you pledge to do? Because of your mutual willingness to live in community, to walk in trust together and to serve in faith, and because we have recognized the hand of God in bringing us together, because Reverend Dr. Gregory L. Waybright is willing to accept God's call to serve Christ's body at Lake Avenue Church, I hereby install Dr. Gregory L. Waybright as senior pastor of Lake Avenue Church on this 23rd day of September in the year of our Lord. 2007. Glory, praise, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
Could you please remain standing and uh, join us in prayer? Before we go to prayer, I thought Lee was going to say, I now pronounce him man. <laughs> but he didn't. But, you know, I can almost hear Dr. Ray Oatland saying, go hard after God. Amen. And go with God because he goes with you. Let's pray. Lord, you have been good. You are good. Just, just this installation service is a living proof of your continued faithfulness to Lake Avenue Church. We can never thank you enough for such love and favor that you're lavishing upon us. Hallelujah. How great is our God. How great is our God. What an awesome day it is in the life of this church. We are so excited about Pastor Greg and Chris. Thank you so much for calling him and anointing him to become our shepherd, our pastor and teacher, and our leader. Lord, please remind us constantly that this appointment is not so much by our choice, but by your design. Help us love and respect our pastor. And pray for him diligently as he's been charged with such enormous tasks and immense responsibilities. Lord, we believe that you also enable those whom you call. We have every confidence in you that you will help, strengthen, and uphold our pastor with your righteous right hand. It is Pastor Greg's desire to faithfully preach the word and carefully instruct us from the word even when the message may not be readily received. Lord, grant him insight into how your word applies to the people of this church and the community. Lord, we are grateful that Pastor Greg already comes to us with a great reputation for his love, compassion, kindness, and humility. Please bless our pastor as he desires to grow in his love for you and for the people of this church. And the community. Please grant his desires that it will be evident to everyone that he personally is making progress in life and doctrine. As our pastor models for us, help us also make progress in our knowledge of you and grow in our love for you and others. We pray that you would help him keep proper priorities in his life, help him maintain strong relationship with you and safeguard his time with Chris and family. Lord, time to time, please make him lie down in green pastures, and please lead him beside quiet waters to restore his soul. Please help him guard his heart. We pray that you would grant him sound health and sufficient stamina to fully discharge all his responsibilities. Lord, we also pray that you put hedge of protection around Pastor Greg, Chris, Heather, Mike, and Brandon, and the little one that's growing, and shield them from the attacks by our enemy. Lord, as we begin this journey together with the Waybrights, help us remember your faithfulness in the years past. Help us remember the lessons learned. Help us remember to pray for our pastor and his family, and help us support and follow his lead. Above all, 
Help us put on love and pursue peace as if our life depends on it. We praise you, honor you, and give you all the glory. Dear Lord, I pray for this pastor and this people together. Lord, I thank you for this great occasion that you have marked the coming of this pastor and people together. Lord, I pray that in times of joy, this would be a stone of remembrance, that we would all remember the joy that began this day. And that, Lord, in times of distress, that this pastor and people together could look back on this time together and recall that you have been in it every step of the way that you have inhabited every word spoken, all of the testimonies, and that your presence, your spirit, has been in each one of these services. Lord, I pray for their unity together as pastor and people, that they may have and be on one accord, in one mind, Lord, growing in love. Lord God, as a testimony to this city. Lord, I pray that their love would grow for each other more and more and overflow that they would be a city on a hill as a testimony. Lord, I ask, last of all, that you would bring to pass the passions on this pastor's heart, that this place would be full of young people. Lord, that this place would reflect your kingdom in heaven, that it would look like that here on earth as well. And, Lord, I pray that as you bring that prayer, those prayers about, that every power and principality, all the things that divide us, would stand back and be amazed at your work in this body. Amen. God, today I pray for the congregation itself and that it creates a partnership with Greg that would better serve your kingdom, God. I hope that this truly would be a place of a home that people would come to in their time of stress and they would look up to him as a father. Yes, Father. God, I pray for any time anyone has any bad times or anything, any troubles in their lives, that they would look up to Greg for help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Después de esto, mire, y apareció una multitud tomada de todas las naciones, tribus, pueblos y lenguas. Era tan grande que nadie podía contarla. Estaban de pie delante del trono y del corredor. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. <laughs> 